You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. How can creating a more positive emotional experience for patients with dementia or Alzheimer's diminish behavior issues and improve quality of life? Joining us to discuss focusing on comfort in caring for patients with dementia and Alzheimer's is Ms. Tina Alonzo, gerotherapist, director of research and co-director of the palliative care for Advanced Dementia Program at Beatitudes Campus in Phoenix, Arizona. Tina, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dr. Tanglos. Today we're going to talk about palliative care for patients with dementia and Alzheimer's. Let's set the ground rules. What is palliative care to start with? Palliative care is a method of caring for people with dementia that really looks at the broad spectrum of needs that individuals experience through the progression of the disease. And really what it seeks to do, since there's no cure for irreversible dementias, is to manage all of the issues associated with the progression of dementia and care for people in a way that is both humane and salutes their personhood. Now, we know that our patients, we're talking about people that are way before their last breath. And we know that hospice care is six months, but with regard to palliative care, you could put that into place years in advance. Actually, we do, and, and what we think is really important there is that the human experience is really one in which we seek comfort at all venues and at all levels of living. And so why should the individual who have dementia really want anything different for their life? It really is kind of a common sense approach, and we use the term palliation or palliative care in a very broad sense to address that whole concept of comfort you know, is really how humans choose to live their life. You know, we've talked a lot on this program about retained abilities and retained capacities, especially with Alzheimer's patients. So give us some examples now of what you do with some of your individuals in the program. It's really all about the person. It's about their personhood. It's about knowing who they are. It's about anticipating their needs. It's about listening to what they're telling us, not only verbally if they can, but also through their behavior. And it's about empowering staff to do what's best for that individual to help families understand and to enlist their assistance and also to include the medical providers in this whole process. At the end of the day, everyone feeling very successful about the work that they do and about the experience that's been achieved. And to do this, we really need to make comfort the goal of everything that is surrounding the person. Therefore, people eat when they want, eat what they want, sleep when they want, awake when they want. The kinds of activities and events that they're engaged in are things that of their interest and tailored specifically to them, not just run-of-the-mill kinds of events. And really, there's this whole attention to the broad spectrum of needs that range from spirituality to emotional and social venues, but also to the physical and the medical issues that the person with dementia may be experiencing. All right, so if I was to walk into your facility, one of your facilities, and walk onto the floor, what would catch my attention that would say, 
this is something different. This is something right out there in front of where the movement ought to be. I think what you would see is peace and contentment. You would see people that we just automatically take to the bathroom as a course of their day rather than than utilize briefs. You would see people whose physical pain is well managed. You would see people engaged in life in ways that they would be engaged in life if they were residing anywhere else out in the broader community. And you would automatically see staff and family working in conjunction with one another, sort of a symphony, to create the kind of environment and milieu that supports everyone who lives there. What you wouldn't see are things like people calling out, a lot of distress, rushing around, the sorts of things that at one point we all experienced here on the Beatitudes campus before we chose to make the change and really focus on the person and elevate their personhood. Is there more family involvement or less family involvement, multi-generational activities? What else is going on? You know, honestly, I believe there's probably more family involvement. One of the things that dementia does to people is it sort of robs their family of that experience, that rich experience that the individual once enjoyed and that the family once enjoyed with that person. We help families understand that there are ways in which we can engage a person. Yes, their higher cortical function, their executive function is impaired because of dementia. But for most folks, their emotional brain, their limbic system is still intact and we can access that part of their brain. We can access that piece and maybe we can't change the way that they think, but we can change the way that they feel and we can do that in a positive way. When families understand how to do that, they maintain the connection more strongly with the person through the course of the disease. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss focusing on comfort in caring for patients with dementia and Alzheimer's is Ms. Tina Alonzo, gerotherapist, Director of Research and Co-Director of the Palliative Care for Advanced Dementia Program at Beatitudes Campus in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, I understand that you've got some of these environmental things happening at your place. You're in Arizona. You've got bright lights compared to Minnesota to begin with, but you're playing off the brighter rooms. You're using some carpeting to define space. Tell us about that. Really, the milieu is very important for the person who has dementia. It's important because we know that loud noise and commotion, things that move faster or the person with dementia perceives go faster than what they can make sense of are often very distressful and can actually add to additional confusion. And so we try to minimize those types of noxious stimuli whenever we can. That being said, buzzers and alarms that sound when a person crosses a threshold, say to get on an elevator or out a door, are potentially very upsetting to people, and we like to eliminate them whenever we can. So we used a concept that's not new. It actually goes back to the 1970s called Visual Cliff, and we have a dark piece of carpet in front of our fourth-floor neighborhood in front of the elevator. What this allows us to do is not use that kind of alarm system, which would alert staff if someone has gotten close to the elevator, you know, so that the individual couldn't gain access to it. Those sorts of things are really important. We also pay particular attention 
connection to those thresholds as we spoke a moment ago when a person maybe enters their room because our brains do all kinds of strange things when we are under the influence of dementia and the opportunity for people to become fearful or to fall is enhanced when we have darkness. So we do have a lot of light and we keep the lights up for people's comfort most of their waking time. Now, in your title, you have the research director title. So what kind of evidence do we have that some of these activities are actually working? We have the wonderful anecdotal activity that goes on at the Beatitudes campus on the Vermilion Cliffs. So we can compare falls and we can compare some of the other quality indicators associated with our evaluation process and in long-term care with state and national averages. And we know that they're working because we have fewer incidents there. But also, if we go back even to Dr. Kitwood in the early 90s, there is this whole attention to the milieu and how that can support the person with dementia or it can actually make their experience more challenging and actually create some of the behavioral instances that we like to avoid when the person is experiencing dementia. And so there is quite a bit of research out there. If we go to the Alzheimer's Association, you can actually look at milieu recommendations for assisted living and long-term care facilities for the country. And that's really a benefit, I think, to many organizations who are seeking to create the best environment possible. Now, before all of our listeners jump on the palliative care bandwagon, Are there any situations where, in your experience, you'd recommend not to offer up the program or to an individual that just wouldn't be right? You know, honestly, there's very few circumstances. There may be components of the program or pieces of palliation that might not fit. But essentially, most of the time, any part of that really applies to the person who has dementia because it's about comfortable living. However, If a piece of the program did not line up with the individual's advanced care planning, then we just wouldn't do that because it really is about celebrating that person, honoring who they are. And if they had, for instance, said, I would like a tube feeding, regardless of the circumstances, then it is our job to honor that regardless of what we think may or may not be in the individual's best interest. Do you have a single story you can share with our listeners as we wind down now where where all the elements really kind of fit together and we could take this home with us? I'm going to tell you the story of Arlene. Arlene lived in another organization for about five years. Arlene had vascular dementia and she had to be tube-fed because she had great difficulty swallowing and she had been tube-fed for about five years. In the organization where Arlene lived, she really was exhibiting a great deal of behavioral challenge. She would try to take food off her peers' plates. She would call out incessantly. She resisted care at times when the staff tried to help her. And probably the final straw in this whole situation for Arlene and her family was that one day she tried to take food off of her husband's plate when he had come to share a lunch, you know, with her. 
And so the family actually became a little upset because Arlene was being treated with a lot of antipsychotics and anxiolytics. They felt that she really had no quality of life. And so they contacted us and Arlene relocated to the Vermilion Cliffs at Beatitudes campus. Now, Arlene was telling us something very clearly through her behavior. She really wanted to eat. And although she had failed a couple of modified barium swallows in the past. After some discussion with our medical director and Arlene's physician and the family, the family decided that it was worth the risk to see if perhaps Arlene could gain some quality of life through taking in even just a bite or two of food. It's very interesting. During the course of Arlene's life, she was a wonderful homemaker, a great cook, and by all accounts of her family, a great eater. And so this was something that was kind of quintessential to her comfort and really embedded in who she was. And so before we could start all of this, what we needed to do was pull back some of the medications that were making it difficult for Arlene to kind of have the sense of awareness that would make eating less of a risk. And so Dr. Hamilton, who was our wonderful geriatrician, set about the process of slowly titrating down the anxiolytics and the antipsychotic that Arlene was receiving. About two months after Arlene arrived, she was alert, recognizing her husband, recognizing all of the staff, and everyone agreed it was time to give dining a try. I was there when she was taking her first spoonfuls of food, and after she ate, we asked her what it was like, and she ate everything on her plate, and she said it was the best food she had ever eaten. Gone was all of the calling out. Gone was all of the resisting of care. Gone was a lot of the medication that had been used to treat her. What this demonstrates to us clearly is that Arlene's wishes were honored, the family's wishes were honored, and we have someone who actually has regained some sense of who they are, and they have the most comfortable experience possible. That's a perfect ending to our interview today. It's a great example to share with our listeners on palliative care. So I'd like to thank my guest from Beatitudes Campus in Phoenix, Ms. Tina Alonzo. Tina, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thanks, Dr. Tanglos. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA, For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.